Welcome to Kindred Voices, a podcast brought to you by PA Kin Connector. I'm your co-host, Tia Maria. And I'm your co-host, Candy. Hey, Tia Maria. Let's bring on our special guest for this episode. Thank you, Candy. Well, today I would like to welcome Anna Beltran. She is the co-director for the National Center on Grand Families for Generation United. Welcome to the program, Anna. Thank you so much to both of you for having me. It's my pleasure. Yeah, we're thrilled to have you. So to get started, can you just tell us a little bit about your role at Generations United? And then also, what, what's the definition of grand families? What exactly does that mean? Sure. So I've been with Generations United since 1999. It's kind of hard to believe. Um, and right now, as of January 1st of this year, I'm the co-director of the National Center on Grand Families. And my responsibilities include technical assistance, training and publications. Um, I started off as the first director of the National Center, and then we moved out west, and I was a special advisor for many, many years, and now I've gone back to full time. So um, that's my role. Um, In terms of why we called it the National Center on Grand Families, we did some research about 17 years ago into the issue of how to best portray the families and how, what would resonate with the public and policymakers the most and did a number of focus groups and the term grand families emerged. And by that term, we, uh, we mean grandparents, other relatives and close family friends like godparents who raise children when parents can't. So we use it interchangeably with kinship families, kinship care, um, but that's why we landed on that term. And I was interested in working for Generations United because um, uh, my grandmother raised me in part. She was a big part of my uh, childhood. She retired and moved so that she could take care of me during the day. Then she moved in with us and she was the one who was there to let me in after school and drive me to all my stuff and really like a second mom. So I hold these caregivers and families in the most high of regard and um, that's what inspires me every day is my grandma. Oh, that's terrific. Uh, you know, it's funny because uh, that's a similar story for both Candy and me. And I'm wondering, do you find that that's the case with a lot of people who are in this space? I do. I do. I, yeah, I definitely either raised in kinship care, raised in a multi-generational house, doing kinship care uh, a lot. But then there are a lot of others who haven't got a personal connection, but just really feel very connected to the families um, and very compelled by um, their strengths and their needs and their sacrifices. And right. All. Yeah. Terrific. So then tell us um, specifically what things does Generations United do? And I'm going to use your term for grand families. How, how do you specifically help grand families? Sure. So yes, we've had this National Center now for over 20 years, and we have um, done, uh, I think, made a lot of progress, but there's still a long way to go. So we do federal advocacy, and we have been instrumental in getting, for example, grand families and other grandparents and other relatives raising children in the National Family Caregiver Support Program, which is that program that allows area agencies on aging to support grandparents and other relatives age 55 plus. Um, That originally that bill was just intended to help um, 
people like me caring for older relatives and older family members. But we said, hey, you know, older people, yes, they're the receivers of care, but they're often the givers of care too. So we were able to include them. We've been able to work on some affordable housing law that was passed called Legacy around the same time. We've um, been instrumental in a number of pieces of child welfare legislation that's helped kinship families or grandfamilies. So a lot of work on the, on the federal side. Uh, we've done a lot of work at state level uh, and county level, um, trying to help the families with improved policies, going into a state and really looking at it and um, making suggestions for how the families can be more equitably served. We do a lot of publications. Uh, we do a state of grand families report every year, kind of elevating a big issue, toolkits on serving the grand families, fact sheets kind of elevating the needs with, um, with policymakers and the media and the like, uh, trainings, a lot of presentations, a lot of uh, work with the media. And then finally, we have um, for the last several years, had a national network of grandparents and other relatives who are raising children and who are also advocates for themselves, of course, and for other grand families. We call it the Grand Voices Network. So we've been really working a lot on authentically and meaningfully engaging um, the, the people with the lived expertise um, in all the work. And so they really do drive and inform and inspire everything we do. That is terrific. I didn't realize that you did all that. And I mean, we use the uh, caregiver support gram. We make referrals to that program all the time. It is so, so important to us. So it's terrific to hear that you were instrumental in making that happen for the families. Thank you. Yeah, that's a, that's a proud accomplishment of ours. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, so you mentioned that you do, uh, you have the, the research. Now, when you're doing that research, are you also talking directly to informal grand families or formal, or how, how are you split that out? Yeah, thank you for that very important question. So from our inception, we have been focused on the entire population of kinship families and grand families. So those are that are inside the foster care system. Um, those are that are outside the foster care system of which there are many more. You know, we estimate that for every child in foster care with a kin, there are 19 outside of foster care with a kin. And that's probably very conservative. And then kind of the third um, pot of cohort of families, which is those families that fall in between, right? They come to the attention of the child welfare system, but have gotten diverted by the system. Um, so they're not getting the same level of supports. So we really do try to support all grandfamilies and kinship families. Okay, great. So you, you've mentioned um, some of the wonderful accomplishments. So when you are doing advocacy work, how long do you think it typically takes to kind of, you know, identify an issue, determine a solution for it, advocate for it, and then get that you know, passed into legislation or, you know, however the solution is going to work out? The timing is so uh, challenging and so case specific. I think, you know, it's, there's a lot of factors that are kind of out of one's control for an advocate, which is like media attention and, and what's going on in the environment. And um, uh, yeah, just all of those things that are kind of out of one's control. 
but we've been able to do some things very quickly and some things have taken a very long time. So, you know, that is a really critical piece of it is getting those voices of the caregivers to really share their stories with the policymakers. We find that's what moves the needle the most. Mm. Uh, and that's certainly what um, helped a lot of our <clears throat> legislation move forward. So really getting their voices, having the data, and then just working it and working it. Um, but we have found that kinship care, both at the federal and the state and local level, has got a nice, um, has got nice bipartisan support in general. So it's, um, if it's framed um, well, and policymakers see the families and, and it's brought to life, um, we find that that change can be made. Okay, great. So what are some challenges that you're working on for your grand families right now? You know, what things are in the pipeline? So we are, um, we created two, two toolkits last year, one for serving African-American grandfamilies and one for serving American Indian Alaska Native grandfamilies. And we find that cultural competence piece and that, you know, just having uh, race equity at the forefront and really thinking about all the diversity and equity issues are so important. So we're creating another toolkit this year for serving Latino grandfamilies. And that will come out in the fall. Um, so that's that's kind of just a demo, um, an example of. Uh, but I think right now, what is guiding all of our work is those equity issues. Um, you know what we have seen for just decades now is how inequitably the families are treated. So you know you have the same child with a relative or the same child with a non-relative in foster care, and they're treated vastly different even though they have similar challenges uh, and come from similar situations and have suffered similar trauma. And those kind of inequities are so um, paramount and really need to be addressed. And if you look at kinship care and the data of which it's pretty limited, but uh, you see that black grandfamilies, um, uh, black caregivers, black, well, black children specifically, and American Indian children and Alaska Native children are much more likely to live in grand families. So then you have to say, well, if they're much more likely to live in grand families and they're treated so inequitably, you know, what is the racial issue here? And what are what's the racism that we're seeing and how do we get at it? So uh, though, all those, the equity uh, across the board, um, the COVID-19 challenges that are bringing all of this to the forefront, and that's really the things that have been um, driving us these days and that we're really trying to address. Okay, great. Thank you so much. I will turn it over to Candy. Hi, um, I'm gonna just follow up with that with um, speaking on the, the challenges that you're, you're currently looking at. What are some of the solutions or, or ideas or thoughts that you guys have for correcting or um, addressing those issues? Yeah, so uh, quite a number of them um, within the child welfare system. Uh, you know, we're looking at how do we get more relatives licensed or approved so that they can get the full foster care maintenance payment rate. And there are a number of ideas around that. Outside the child welfare system, we're really trying to advocate for more financial support for the families. So better use of the Temporary Assistance for Needy Families program or TANF. Um, uh, I'm not sure if it's called the same thing in Pennsylvania because every state kind of calls it something slightly different. Do you all call it TANF? Yes, we do. Okay. 
Yeah, so, you know, every state kind of drives what the amount of the child only grant is. And every um, child in kinship care uh, should be able to get that child only grant because it's based on their income, not the income of the caregiver. So how do we get that amount um, to be more of a livable support and to be per child? Because we find in all states that it only rises incrementally for each additional child. So if you have a caregiver raising four or five children, uh, it's just, it's not near enough money to help meet the needs of these children. And you know, what we come against a lot is, uh, well, I, I, I'm family, I don't need to be paid to raise family, you know, so there's the caregiver guilt. Then there's the policymakers saying, well, family will take care of their own. But what, you know, a lot of us fail to realize is that these are situations where uh, families are unexpectedly raising children, could be overnight, they're in a studio apartment, right? They haven't planned for it. Uh, they don't have the automatic legal relationship to the child that parents have. There are all these hurdles. And so we need to support these families that are, you know, unexpectedly really stepping up and keeping these families together. So absolutely. Yeah, those are a couple. Well, Anna, I have a question. So knowing that, you know, you are probably closer to legislators than we are because, we, you know, we're not allowed to, to do any of that kind of stuff. Like one of the things that I've read is that they're sort of boasting that, oh, look at how much money we're saving because of informal kinship families. So while as we're seeing that as a detriment because they really should be compensated the same way, it's actually being positioned as a saving. So I, you know, I guess to the taxpayer. So how do you overcome that selling point in a way that we don't think is right because they shouldn't be getting less money? Yeah, and it's so tricky. And we at Generations United have been guilty of making that argument too, because you know you want to um, uh, convince policymakers, right, to help the families. So we've kind of attacked it from every single angle. But yeah, moving away from those economic arguments and really making the point that we have to elevate and support these children that are, that research shows thrive in the care of relatives, but they thrive even more if they're supported, right? And it's not about compensating anybody, it's about helping meet the needs of that child and those yeah. children. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, thanks. Sure. Um, what in that case, what would be one important thing that kinship caregivers should know? Yeah, so I would say one thing that kinship caregivers should know around the country is of programs like yours. Uh, kinship navigator programs are so critical. Um, they are, you know, because what uh, the obstacle that caregivers really face, kinship caregivers around the country, is that they have to navigate all these different systems, right? Like we talked about the aging system and the services that are available through area agencies on aging. Um, we talked about child welfare. They come up, you know, they need to interface with the education system and housing and healthcare. And so, how do these families navigate all those systems that aren't really designed to serve them? Right? They talk about the systems. Talk about parents. They talk about guardians, maybe, but they—that's how they frame everything—is around parents. 
So your role in really connecting um, the children and caregivers to the services and supports they need and figuring out all these silos and uh, walking them through applications for services and for public benefits is just absolutely critical. So I would encourage, you know, caregivers to um, Google, <laughs> educate themselves. We have uh, fact sheets on grandfamilies.org for every state in the country and DC. And that lists programs like yours. So the Pennsylvania state fact sheet has your program and has other programs. And it has a template kind of of the public benefits that are available in every state. So just to really empower caregivers to ask the questions and to not feel guilty about asking for help um, because there are lots of people that want to help. I think that kind of answered my, my next question, which is one of the important things caregivers should do. And I think that you kind of answered that was not to be afraid to ask those questions and to seek that support. Yeah. And, you know, we hear from so many caregivers, well, I just thought it was going to be a short time and, you know, I didn't really want child welfare in my life or I don't really need that support, but, you know, really to try to um, help the families look down the line and, and work with the parents if they're in the picture and, and just um, really don't close any doors, but just this could be, and typically the data shows it's a long-term relationship, uh, but the, these caregivers are raising children for many years. Um, and just, you know, based upon informal and formal care, there's such a difference between formal care and, and informal care as far as what supports. Is there something that you would recommend differently for one group than the other that would maybe help them to thrive in the process? Mm -hmm. Well, when you're going, uh, when a child's been removed by the child welfare system and uh, you are approached as a caregiver about serving as the placement for that child, really asking a lot of questions about what does licensure approval get me uh, and the child? So what is the pathway difference? And really trying to understand that from the beginning. And really the child welfare workers trying to explain all those pathways and all those options so that the families are really clear on them. And, you know, I know we, we created a, a new chart for Pennsylvania. Um, along with the American Bar Association that compares um, uh, the pathways of, of adoption for those families or um, uh, what do you call it in Pennsylvania? I'm blanking on the permanent legal custody. Is that what you call it? Yes. In uh, comparing those two, and that's available at grandfamilies.org as well. But really trying to ask all the questions uh, using charts like that and understanding the options from the get-go. Um, because really, uh, you can be put on a pathway early on with when with when you get a child placed with you through this through the system, and outside the system, you know it is more complicated because uh, typically you're not going to have a caseworker, but um, you know using resources like yours and really um, looking at state fact sheets and educating themselves about really all the things that are out there, <clears throat> and and considering the legal relationships that they may want to pursue as well. And that's tricky because it requires lawyers and expense, but um, really taking a look at that as well. <laughs> and that's not an issue as much in the child welfare system because the child welfare system has legal custody until you exit out of the system. So the, within the system, the, um, 
the caseworker can help enroll the child in school and get the health care and consent to the health care and all that for the child. But if you're outside the system, just doing those basic things can be really tricky without any kind of legal relationship. And if the parent hasn't signed over some kind of power of attorney. So just educating themselves. Yeah. And asking, asking folks like you and me for help because we want to help. Definitely. And, and just to confirm, so you, you provide direct help to the families as well. Right. Oh, well, good question to you, Maria. No, we're really not designed to do that. Okay. Try to um, support um, uh, people like you who are directly interfacing with the families. So that's kind of our mission. But we have created over the years a number of direct tools for the caregivers. Um, But really, we're not set up to provide individual assistance. Okay, that's good. So then I can't give your telephone number and say, hey, call Anna if you've got any questions. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, just not set up for that. But as much as I can support you in answering those questions, I want to do that. Perfect. Thank Appreciate you. That. Thank you. And my final question is, what do you do for self-care? Because, you know, in this industry, we really need to look out for ourselves as well. Yeah, that's a great question. <clears throat> um, and for me, I think it's, I try to exercise regularly. I will say it's, you know, it's challenging and I don't always do the best I can, but I do try to do that. And I find that to be a huge um, help. And also I do love the periodic massage. <laughs> I think we all do. <laughs> Wish they were a little cheaper, but you know. <laughs> Definitely. Anything else you would like to wrap up with before we close? Well, thank you. I mean, you know, um, uh, we do a lot of things like we shared, and I just want to encourage people to use our websites, which is which are grandfamilies.org, all one word, and GU, which stands for generationsunited.org. Um, a lot of the um, resources on gu.org will refer back to grandfamilies.org, but it is a website that's worth consulting on its own as well. So, you know, a number of free resources um, available on both those websites, and we just encourage caregivers and those who work with them to access them, and, um, and hopefully that it'll be helpful. Yeah, I can say that we definitely use your website or both websites as a resource. And what I love about it is it's super easy to understand, very straightforward. So I I think that families will definitely get um, a lot out of of checking them out. Oh, good. I'm glad. And we're trying to um, do an update of grandfamilies.org. It kind of needs a good editing. But uh, and so hopefully that will be coming soon. Terrific. Again, well, thank you so much for being our guest. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Anna. Thank you, Candy. Okay, Candy, tell our listeners how they can reach us. They can reach us by calling our call support number at 1 866 546 2111, or they can reach us on our website at www.kinconnector.org. Great. Thank you, Candy. Okay, we'll see you guys next time.